according to Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where we will be this morning, and uh, we're going to just go through the book of Luke. We're going to take our time and uh, go through it as, as thoroughly as we can, and it's on purpose. We're going to take our time going through it on purpose because we are trying to be a church full of people who follow Jesus, right? We're trying to be a church full of disciples of Jesus Christ, people who study and live under the teaching of Jesus Christ, and we're doing our best to come under His teaching and live our lives like He would have us live our lives. And so we're just going to spend as much time as it takes to really get a thorough understanding. And part of this is driven out of my own, uh, my own worry that as a pastor, I haven't shared Jesus enough with you. I know we talk about Jesus every Sunday, but, um, but maybe there's more we need to know about Jesus. So we're just going to be as, as intentional as we possibly can, learning who Jesus is, how He came to this earth, and what He did, how He lived, how He died, how He was raised from the dead, and the whole story so that we may respond in accordance with with His truth in our lives. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 is what we have for today. This is Luke speaking. This is Luke's introduction to the account of Jesus Christ that he studied. Many have undertaken to draw upon the account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." There's so much in these first four verses, we're going to take some time and just focus on them. We're not getting into talking about Jesus, we're getting into the introduction that's going to lead us into talking about Jesus. And one of the points that, that I want to make, um, throughout history, there have been a lot of fakes that have come up throughout uh, when it comes to the church and the Gospels. And when Luke was writing, there was actually a lot of competition for attention, there were a lot of uh, not true gospels that had been written. There were gospels that, that had been written by other people that, that had names that sounded like disciples, and these other gospels were written by these other people, or they forged names and forged gospels, and the intent behind them wasn't to tell the story of Jesus. The intent behind them was so that they could take advantage of Jesus' popularity and have a group of people for themselves. They were manipulating people. They were using the gospel to try to manipulate people so they could get their own following. And so what, John, or what Luke is going to be doing here as he goes through this gospel is he's going to take some time going through the gospel and write what he calls an orderly account of the things that he investigated. And he's going to make sure that as he goes through, he points to things that give credence to the story of Jesus Christ. And so all of those things we talked about at the beginning, you know, you know being gullible and fake news and all of that kind of thing, and is this in the Bible, is this not in the Bible? For one, we're going to learn a lot of that stuff as we go through the book of Luke. But the second thing that I, that I want to point out before we even get started is that our faith is not a blind faith. And a lot of people condemn us for having a blind faith. 
But our faith is not a blind faith. And in fact, if we are living as followers of Jesus Christ in what we would call a blind faith, then I think we are doing a disservice to the faith that we have received in Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't take long to realize that what is made, uh, made known to us through the Gospels, what is made known to us through the Scriptures, gives us a lot of foundation for our faith. And in fact, and Jim would be a great person to talk to about all of this, there, there are so much historical evidence that ties the Bible into history to help prove that what is being, the claims that are being made are actually things that actually happened. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But, but if you feel like, you know, you don't have a foundation for your faith, then I'd say, you know, you're in a great spot. And I would challenge you as we go through this, this gospel to, to not just kind of sit back and, and do like we normally do as we, as we attend church and go through teaching and that kind of a thing. Is, you know, we we kind of we, we say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be there and I'll just kind of do my duty as a Christian. But, but instead, I challenge you to really dig deep as we go through to help you develop your foundation for the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And as we do that, I think your faith will be made stronger. And I ask you not to do it so that you can argue with unbelievers. I ask you to do that, do it so that when you are in discussions with unbelievers, you are able to, as we read, I think it's in uh, Peter, you are able to give a reasonable answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. That is the call that is on all of us. You know, we, we, don't, we can't just sit back and, 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 and say we have a faith in Jesus Christ and not be able to explain and define it. We have to do the work of coming to know what it is. So let's dig in. There's, there's a lot in these first four verses that are going to help us get that foundation that we're looking at. Many have undertaken to draw upon the, an account of things that have been fulfilled among us. So his very first words in his introduction, he is acknowledging that there are other people who have already done what he's doing. He says, many have undertaken to draw upon an account of the things. And, and as you go through, I think the, the percentage is really high. I want to say it's like 65%, maybe more. Um, you, you will see that Luke used Mark to help him as he was making his story and presenting his, his defense and his argument for Jesus Christ. So you'll find a lot of Mark, and there's another document that's actually also in here. It's called Q, or it was, it's, that's shortened from Q-U-E-L-L-E, which I just say was Quell or Kell. I think it's uh, one of those. It was a German, a German uh, word that they used to talk about some of the other information that, that Luke was drawing from. I don't really know all the history of that, but there were two primary documents and then other things. But but he, using these other documents, he sought to draw upon them for an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So he's using these sources that he has. So, so we, too, ought to use the sources that we have available to us. He says, just as they were handed down to us from those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So this was written in about 60, we think, 60 AD. Jesus died around 30, probably 33 to 36 AD. We're not entirely, it's not exactly sure what, what year that he died. But so somewhere within 25 to 30 years after Jesus' death is when Luke takes on writing this account of the gospel. 
uh, that, that he's going to share. And Luke is also the author of the book of Acts in the New Testament. And so Luke and Acts, you combine those two, and he has, he's, he's just as wordy as Paul and John and the rest of the New Testament. The three of them make up the majority of the content of the New Testament. An interesting fact that would help you understand this a little bit in the time, they're both almost the, the, the same length when it comes to word content or how, how long they are. And there's a reason for that because that was how much content you could fit on a scroll. And so uh, these are almost identical in length because they fit on a scroll, but he also used the whole scroll. He was going to make sure that he got everything he possibly could into that scroll. So he wrote Luke and Acts, and if you read the book of Acts, you'll learn about Luke a little bit more. Luke traveled with Paul throughout a lot of his, uh, his New Testament missions and all of that. And in Colossians chapter 4, we learn that Luke is a, a physician, and so Paul tells us that Luke was a physician, so he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't someone that had been following Jesus around. He was a physician, and he is seeking to, as a physician, bring an orderly account of the things that, had, that have happened. But he starts with two things, two places he goes, or th three places counting the, the book of Mark. He goes to the, you know, Mark and the other sources, but then he goes to eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. So in other words, Luke was able to go to people who actually saw Jesus die and talk to them about what happened. And he investigated it according to their claims. And if he's a good investigator, what he probably would have done is gone to several different eyewitnesses and verified the same story through the different eyewitness accounts of what had happened. And he, he also talked to what would, what would be called servants of the Word. These eyewitnesses, maybe they were the servants of the Word, or, or there were others that were also servants of the Word, like Mark probably would have been considered a servant of the Word. And this phrase actually means someone who sees that the, the validity and the truth of, of the account is the most important thing. And my role as a response to that is to make sure that that is what is presented. So, so he's talking to eyewitnesses, people who saw firsthand what had happened, and people who were servants of the Word, who, who their, their sole responsibility was to make sure that the truth of what had happened was actually accurate. So here, just in the first sentence of Luke, we see the intention that is being put into this. Verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. So there are a few phrases that I think you should underline if you have your Bible in, these, in this next set of verses. First, carefully investigated. Verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write, underline this, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty, and I would underline that word certainty, of the things you have been taught. Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? He mentions Theophilus at the beginning of the book of Acts. Who is this Theophilus guy? There's a little bit of debate about who Theophilus is, who he's writing to. There's a, a general uh, argument that people think that because the word Theophilus means, when it's translated, friend of God, Theo, God, you know, Philos is friend, so friend of God, because this is the, the, the common understanding of this word. He's just writing to everybody who's reading. 
That would include you and me. And, and it's kind of a fun way to think about it. But I don't think that it really holds much water because of the way he sets up the, the name most excellent. When he uses the phrase most excellent in the book of Acts, he's talking to Roman officials, high-ranking Roman officials, and he uses that phrase most excellent when he's talking to a pagan Roman official that he wants to honor because that is a part of how you honor someone in that culture. And so because he uses the phrase most excellent Theophilus, most scholars think that he's writing to a Theophilus who is in the Roman government high up that has a lot of authority. And this Theophilus may have possibly been the underwriter, the person who funded Luke's journey to go and investigate all of these things. I don't know that for a fact. That's what some people have argued, but he may have been the one that, that underwrote the whole journey of Luke investigating. And it's possible that Theophilus even commissioned Luke to do this so that Theophilus could know and make a decision about what had happened. So Theophilus is, is an important character and, uh, and an important part of the story. But you have to stop and you have to imagine then how Luke is going about doing what he is doing because there is so much that, has to be, that had to be investigated, which is what we're going to start getting into next week when we look at the birth of John the Baptist. But with this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And you can imagine Luke that as he's going through this process of, of trying to figure out the truth of what actually happened. Who was this Jesus? You know, who was this Jesus that, that, that all, this, all these people are talking about? You know, what, what is going on with this guy named Jesus that, that he, as, as a physician, a thorough physician, is going to thoroughly investigate what is going on? And, and you can imagine you know, that, that he's got his funding from Theophilus, so he's got some horses at his disposal, and he's riding across the countryside to go and find people. And so he goes and he talks to people about some of the things that had happened. And so he goes and talks to someone and says, yeah, so, uh, so I... Uh, um, I heard that there was this, there was this thing that happened, and, uh, and Jesus, at the end of that day, he, he retreated to, to the mountain. Was it on the, was it, was it on the, on the west side, west side, with the west mountain on the west? And, and then, and then people, you can imagine, well, you're, you're, you're kind of right, except it was this mountain, not that mountain. And then, oh, okay, you know, you, you got me. Or, or so, you know, coming up to someone else to investigate what had happened, you know, it's, uh, so, so I heard that the disciples had kind of left what had happened the day after they were after Jesus fed the 5000. You know what I'm talking about? The day after Jesus fed the 5000, the disciples get on a boat and they go across the lake and then Jesus uh, joined them uh, and I I think what, he 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 swam on the waters. Well, no 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 that you you got it wrong. He he walked on the water too get to the disciples. And so, so Luke, you imagine him going and verifying all of these stories and making sure that what is being shared is accurate because he is carefully investigating everything from the beginning. And now, because he has done this, look at this, because he has carefully investigated everything from the very beginning, he has decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. It's an orderly account. It's not like if I were to sit down and write a story, I would just kind of sit down and start typing and writing and just try to remember everything in the process. Luke actually had a lot of intention in what he was doing. He, he 
wrote orderly. He presented the case in an orderly fashion. He, he presented the arguments in, in a logical way so that they would make sense and so that they would all come together in a way that was without argument, an orderly account. Mark would be more like I would write, you know, just kind of haphazard telling the highlights and let's get it done and, and get on with it. But he decided to write an orderly account. Why? So that, and this, this is, I think, for all of us to read. What is the purpose of Luke writing and telling us the story of Jesus? He's telling us so that we may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. We may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. Notice he doesn't use other words and other phrases. So that you may know with, with a great amount of assurance. That's not what he says. He, he doesn't say, you know, so that you can be 90% sure of the things that, that you've heard about Jesus. He doesn't say, so, so that you can just kind of have a pretty good feeling that what Jesus said was right. He says, no, I want you to know the certainty of the things that were taught. That, that, that what happened in Jesus' life is, is not just something that is a story, a fable that has been passed down through generations, through, through storytelling, but that because of the eyewitnesses and the people who were servants of the Word to make sure that the truth of what Jesus did, said, and how He lived got passed down through these, through these couple of years since I have written that, that now I want you to know this is certain what Jesus has done. And you have to take into account the perspective from which Luke is writing because he wrote Luke and he wrote the book of Acts and the Acts of the Disciples or the Acts of the Apostles where he tracked the Apostles and what the Apostles did. I don't know for sure that he wrote them in order, but he may have. And so you have to imagine then that if he wrote them in order, that if he, wrote, if he started with Luke and worked all the way through Acts, that he's got the perspective from the very end of the book of Acts of all the ways Jesus has fleshed out around the world. And so, so he knows from his own firsthand eyewitness account of walking with the Apostle Paul and seeing how as he's living for Christ, the miracles that are being performed and the signs that were being performed as a result of Paul's apostleship in as one of Jesus' apostles, then he sees firsthand, so he's going back to the very beginning, he's going to write an account so that we may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. We're calling this series Investigating Jesus. There's a lot of books that have been written, and uh, a case, The Case for Christ would be one that would have this approach from, from people who are skeptical about Christ who don't really, don't really believe the whole idea of Jesus, and so they seek to start and disprove Jesus. And their whole approach is to go out and investigate and find the, the sources they need to prove that Jesus was not who he said he was. But just as in the case, of, the case for Christ, when that book was written, uh, he sought to disprove Christ, and in the end he put his faith in Jesus Christ. Because when you try to disprove Christ, you will f come to find that the facts don't actually support your case. The facts don't support doubting Jesus Christ. The facts support belief in Jesus Christ. We live in a day and age when that's very hard. We live in a day and age where skepticism and doubt and cynicism are the most you know, popular ways of thinking in our world. 
Any thought that really comes across the airwaves towards us is, is generally approached from a skeptical, cynical point of view. Whether it's about what's happening in the government, whether it's about a news story that's happening, it's skeptical and cynical, and we are going to not believe until we've proven that we can believe it. And there are a lot of people in our world today that think that they can prove that Jesus Christ was a liar and that he did not actually exist. But as we're going to see, there is more than enough evidence to support Jesus. A popular, a, a popular illustration that, that people will often use to talk about God, say, well, you can't believe, you know, there's atheists and agnostics. I think the, the last poll that I, that I came across said that, that atheists make up about 2% of our population. So 98% of our population in America believe that there is a God. 98%. So, so most of our people probably believe that there is a God. There are agnostics that, that say, well, they don't know, and they, they don't even know that you can know. That's kind of what agnosticism is. And, and uh, so, so there are some that are kind of in that category. A lot of agnostics you know, w- would maybe admit that there's a God, but they don't know if you can know him. But um, atheists just believe that there is no God. But they, they, they seek to come up with illustrations and even parables, which is ironic considering we're the one who is the master of telling stories and parables and so on, to help illustrate that God does not exist, one being the four blind men and the elephant. And so imagine with me that you have four blind men, and they cannot see, and they're told to give a description and explain this elephant based on what they can observe. And so one of them, the, you know, the guy who gets to observe the trunk is able to well, come out and say, it feels, well, it's, you know, well, it's, it's kind of it's like a snake. I guess an elephant is kind of like a snake because I, you know, I feel, you know, I feel this part of the elephant. And then, you know, the, the, the second guy's like, no, it's not. What are you, blind? Because he's, he's got his hands on the foot, on the leg, right? So he, so he feels the leg. An, elephant, an elephant's not like a snake. An elephant is like a tree. An elephant is like a tree. And the third guy says, no, 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 all of you are wrong because he's, he's feeling on the broad side of the elephant's belly, right? And so he feels along the broad side. An elephant is more like a wall. An elephant isn't like a tree or a snake. It's like a wall. And then you got the fourth guy who's back by the tail. He got the bum end of the deal. And... Um, you know, so all, all of you are wrong. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like a butterfly. I, I don't even know how to explain what's happening back here. It's kind of, it doesn't smell real great. And, you know, it's a little bit humid. But, uh, you know, I'm just, it just, it, you're, you're all wrong. And, and, and atheists and agnostics and, you know, people will use this argument to say you cannot know God. You know, trying to know God is like blind people trying to know an elephant. Now, there's a problem with this argument because there are some assumptions that are made in the argument. The assumption is that from the vantage point of the narrator or the storyteller, somebody knows what the elephant is actually like, right? I mean, that is, that's the assumption that is made is that there are four people, four blind guys who are wrong, and because they're blind, they can't possibly know what the elephant is like. But there's a narrator in the story who actually knows what the elephant's like to be able to tell the four blind guys that they're wrong. And there's an assumption of absolute truth in our world today that says, I absolutely know that you cannot know God. You can't, that God does not exist, and that is a fact. 
The problem is they've made an absolute claim about the existence of God or the existence of the so-called elephant, to which the only way to know if there is or is not an elephant or a god is to be from the narrator's perspective and the vantage point of the narrator where you know all of the ins and outs of everything that is happening in the entire universe. To make the claim that there absolutely is not a god is a false, illogical argument. And you'll find this all the time when people argue against God. Logic, true logic, philosophical logic, kind of goes out the window. It's just, well, there just is no God, and everyone who believes in God is, is a moron for believing in God. You know, you're weak, and you, have, you just have blind faith. You, 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 just, you don't even know what you're talking about, because, because if you knew all the stuff that I know, you would know that there is no God. But in fact, the truth is, the more science uncovers about how everything in the world works, the more science discovers God. And the more, the more logical we get with everything, the more we understand how the world and the universe works, the more we start to realize that it's none of it is an accident, that it is all put here on purpose, that God designed the whole thing from the beginning. And you can see, as science has caught up with the Bible, how a lot of these things that took place in the Bible actually took place. So my hope for you and my hope for us as we go through this series is that, is that we will get some real solid, not just understanding of who Jesus is, but we'll get some real solid foundation for our faith. So that when we are challenged by this time that we live in, which is, which is one of those times where, where our faith is going to be constantly challenged, and from this point forward, it will be more challenged than it has been challenged. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. We need to make sure that we, like Luke, have carefully investigated the orderly account of Jesus Christ and that we have certainty about who He is and what He means in our lives. So my challenge for us and all of us as we go through this series is don't, don't just go through, don't just read through the book of Luke like you've read through anything else, but read through with, with the magnifying glass in hand. Read through everything and, and, and take out the magnifying glass and investigate the things that he says when, when like Luke is going to do, when he makes, when he makes notes, like in Luke chapter 2, we're not going to be there for a little bit, but in Luke chapter 2, he's going to say, in those days... Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. When he says that, go looking for that. Get out your, get out your magnifying glass and go looking for, okay, so Caesar Augustus, did, did Caesar Augustus actually issue a decree that a census should be taken? Let's go figure that out. Let's go find out if that was actually something that happened. And then it says, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Well, was Quirinius ever governor of Syria? Who are the governors of Syria? How do we find that out? Get out your magnifying glass and start investigating and looking through all of these things that, that Luke is going to mention as we go through his account of what happened in the life of Jesus. And what we will discover is that what what Luke says and what happened in Jesus was actually absolutely 100% true. And that should give us confidence that when we make our lives look like his life, we're doing the right thing. It should give us confidence that when Jesus says we should live this way or that way, we're, we're doing the right thing. We are, we're following what we're supposed to follow. When Jesus says live this way, we live this way because we understand with certainty that he is who he says that he is. 
When, when Jesus says to think this way, we think this way because Jesus is who he said that he is. And, and when Jesus says to share and love this way with those around you, love the world around you in this way because I have loved you in this way, we do that because Jesus is who he says he is. And not only is who he said that he is, but he has done so much more with the resurrection and sending of the Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to live this kind of life that God has called us to live day by day. Monday through Friday. And that's my heart desire as we go through this series, that, that, that the gospel will start to make a deep and profound impact on how each and every one of us live our lives outside of church. That as we leave these doors, that, that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the certainty that we have that he is who he said he is will, will just drive us to, to want to share and love and, and give the truth to as many as we possibly can so that they too may know the certainty of Jesus Christ. Will you stand? When Luke, Luke wrote this, there were a lot of Gospels that were, that were coming out. The Gnostic Gospels is what they were called. There were fakes. There were all the fakes that, that were brought out. and He wrote it because he wanted to make sure that people knew the truth. And my desire for each and every one of us this morning is that, that we know the truth. That, that if there are areas of our lives where we've started to believe lies that aren't really who God is or what God said, then, then we need to let God, through the power of the Spirit, root those out, pull those out once and for all, and replace them with his truth. And that's going to be a part of the process. So as we get started in this journey, I want to pray for all of us. And so I'm going to ask that you bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to bow my head. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you for a response this morning. But I am going to ask that you think. Ask yourself this question. Have I, have I been living as though my faith is blind? Is my faith rooted in the truth of who God says he is? Or is my faith just adopted from my parents in the way I grew up? Have I taken my own faith in Jesus Christ or am I trying to lean on someone else's? Do you have your own faith in Jesus Christ? The next question I would ask is, who has the most influence in your life? What sources have the most influence? Are, are there sources aside from God that have more influence in your life than God does? Are there, are there things like news or Facebook, social media, the internet, friends at work, even even family that we liveth, live with and neighbors that we are surrounded by who have pushed come to shove, we would side with them more than we would side with Christ. Are there people who have more influence in your life right now than the gospel of Jesus Christ has? If so, that's something that God wants to root out right here at the very beginning of this journey. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we walk through this together, as we 
seek to, to know you as we seek to know Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you sent to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, to set us free from the law of sin and death and to give us a life that you wanted to be transformed into the image of you like we were supposed to be at the very beginning. Father, I pray that any, any areas of our mind that are, that are filled up and consumed with errors, that are consumed with things that are not of you, consumed with, with, with influences that are not of you, I pray, Father, that you would not only show them to us, but, Father, by the power of your Spirit, alive and active and at work in us, root them out of our hearts and of our minds for once and for all. And, Father, I pray, pray that you would replace them with your truth, your truth that is eternal, your truth that was established before time began and will endure after time ends. Father, I pray that as we, as we walk through this journey, we will see that this plan that you had of bringing Jesus Christ to earth was one that you set in, into action before we were around and before even Adam and Eve were created that you had a plan to redeem us all. Father, help us to see from the perspective that you see. Help us to just peek behind the curtain through the truth that you've shown us and have a little bit better perspective on our faith. Help us to know those things that you want us to know with certainty that we may be able to not only live our lives in a way that glorifies and honors you, but that we might also be able to share our lives with those who desperately need to know of the certainty of Jesus Christ. We ask and pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Jesus who was and is and is yet to be. Jesus who created all of the world and the, the planet that we walk on. Jesus who was there with the Father before Adam and Eve breathed their first breath. Jesus who was written into the story through the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus who came and in his own flesh fulfilled those prophecies Jesus, who, who paid the price for our sins, whose substitutionary death, whose death on the cross in our place paid the price for our sins. This Jesus who died and carried those sins to the grave. This Jesus who resurrected and justified us once and for all in the eyes of our Father. This Jesus who ascended to the right hand of the Father, taking his place of glory and sent the Spirit of Christ to dwell in us this Jesus who wants to empower us to live a life that shines brightly the light of Jesus Christ into the darkest places of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.